0: We're looking at Mark chapter 8, Mark eight twenty-seven to 38. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All men are like grass, and all of man's glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we we stop for a minute to talk to you having just heard from you because we need you. Because if we understand ourselves rightly, we know that we will not be able to we will not be able to see reality. We will not be able to hear your word if you you don't work. And so we pray, Father, that you would be here tonight by your Holy Spirit, that you would work in spite of my sins as the speaker, in spite of all of our sins as the hearers, that you would be here and open our ears so that we can hear and our eyes so that we can see. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody seen, I'm going to be somewhat surprised, uh, has anybody seen a movie called From Dusk Till Dawn? Uh, A couple of you? Okay. Um, I haven't actually, haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen bits and pieces of it. It is a very, it's from 1996. It is a very odd movie. Um, And it's it's odd for a number of reasons, but I guess you could sum it up uh, by this. That basically right in the middle, right at the, the halfway point of the movie, it just everything all of a sudden just switches, turns on its head. You think it's going one direction, and then all of a sudden it is right turn going somewhere else. Um, one, of my, one of my friends who uh, is very familiar with... Uh, Movies and, and this one in particular, said, described it like this. The first half is a criminals on the run slash hostage situation, and then at the halfway point, it suddenly becomes a vampire movie. And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> you think it's this, you know, criminal, uh, you know, thriller sort of thing, and halfway through, vampires. Very odd. Turning point. Uh, and I bring that up because um, probably to a lesser degree in some sense, uh, that's a little bit of what's happening in this passage. This passage is very much a, a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're studying through, studying through the Gospel of Mark this semester, and our theme every week is is wide-eyed wonder. And that's our theme because Mark writes in such a way, uh, he writes with this unique sense of excitement about Jesus. He, you almost get the impression that, that he's like a little kid that wants to take you and show you uh, a new toy or tell you a story, that he's grabbing you by the hand, his eyes bulging and saying, you have got to come see this and see Jesus, wide-eyed wonder. And we say every week that uh, if, you, uh, if we hear this rightly, if we see Jesus rightly, then we'll, we will be left with that same wide-eyed wonder. So maybe if, you're, if you've grown up in the church um, and you're bored with Jesus, then I think Mark is exactly what we need. So maybe that's you. Uh, in this passage tonight in particular, I think, I think we're going to see that wide-eyed wonder and be left with it. Uh, because of what, because of what we see Jesus uh, say and in a sense do here in this passage, uh, like I said, it's very much a turning point. Um, almost every commentator that you read is going to agree that this passage divides the gospel in half. The first half, what we've been studying all the way up, uh, you know, until tonight, basically, Mark is showing us that Jesus is—he's showing us that Jesus has the authority. Uh, to be the Messiah, that that, that he is God himself, that he has all authority, that he can do any and everything because he's God. And then here at this point, uh, and from from here on, the emphasis is going to very much switch and it's going to really focus more on what Jesus has come to do, uh, particularly that of uh, of being the Messiah. That's what we're going to sort of drill down into tonight. Um, And so I want to look tonight at at three things about what Jesus has come to do. And maybe in a sense how he's come to do it. And I think you're going to see that it's it's completely unexpected. So the three things I want to look at tonight, basically we're just going to sort of break the passage down into three sections. The first, uh, verses 27 to 30, I want you to see that, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, 31 to 33, we're going to see that Jesus is the suffering Christ. And then thirdly and finally, 34 to 38, we're going to look at uh, how to follow Jesus. All right, so first, Jesus is the Christ. Uh, so like we've said, we're well into Jesus' ministry here, well into Mark's gospel. Uh, and if you, call, if you recall last week what we talked about, uh, it, was, it focused on the belief of the disciples. You remember we um, we looked at how Jesus how it's Jesus alone that opens the ears of the deaf, and it's Jesus alone in the passage uh, that's just before this one. He's the one that opens the eyes of the blind, and it was all about these disciples that were sort of or not sort of were quite slow to believe to have their eyes opened, and so now where we pick up, we see Jesus has this conversation with his disciples, and he asks them so. First, he says, so what's the word on the street about me? What are, what are people saying or who are people saying that I am? And so Peter speaks up, as he's wont to do, and he says that, well, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some people are saying that you're uh, Elijah. There was some prophecy in the Old Testament, in Malachi, that uh, before the day of the Lord, Elijah would come back. So some people think you're Elijah. Elijah. Uh, And some people are saying that you're a a new prophet altogether uh, that's that's come along. Uh, So you could sum up what Peter's saying that basically everybody's saying that you're some great man that that God has sent. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And it's clear from this passage and and from others um, that, that Peter is exactly right and that Jesus very much owns that title for himself. He accepts it. So we need to take a minute and talk about what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Um, to, the, uh, to the Jew, in, in this day and age, and, and well, I guess in even, even now, to be the Christ, uh, it, it meant everything. Everything. All of their hopes and dreams were pinned on the Christ coming. Christ, or Christos, the Greek word. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word, right? Hebrews, what the Old Testament was written in. Uh, The Hebrew word for anointed, right? Um, And so basically it means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, what you see is that uh, there were three people or three offices that God anointed, that he set apart for service. Prophets, priests, and kings. Those three offices were anointed by God and set apart. And so what you see is all throughout, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, God is promising to send sort of the, the ultimate anointed one. The, the Messiah, the Anointed one. The, one. the One that's going to be the prophet, priest, and king all rolled into one. That's what the Messiah or the Christ is. If you're a note taker, you, you can see this in 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, Jeremiah 23. So the Christ is the, is the promised hero uh, that's going to come back that god 's going to sin and he 's going to fix everything he 's going to make everything better that they were looking for this this hero to show up and he 's going to put everything back to the way it 's supposed to be he 's going to fix all the wrongs he's he 's going to bring justice he 's going to punish evil and reward righteousness and it was clear it 's clear from the Old Testament that this Christ is a divine Figure, that it's God Himself in some way. And so Peter and presumably the other disciples have recognized, and in Matthew's gospel it makes it clear that it's because God has revealed it to them, that what they're looking for, who they're looking for, the Christ, is this guy. It's Jesus. And I want you to take just a minute, try to put yourself in that situation. And think about how amazing it would be. Your people have been waiting for this Christ for generation after generation after generation. And what you're realizing is that He is standing right there. That He he showed up. That your wildest dreams are about to come true. This is probably a, uh, a bad illustration, or at least it's probably a sad illustration. It probably means bad things for us, but we're going to go with it. Um, it. It's probably sad to compare the Messiah to, to sports, but again, it probably says more about us, um, or just me. But I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that you, uh, you know, tomorrow you wake up and you, uh, I was about to say read in the paper, right? Because I'm your granddad's age. Um, you know, you see on your Twitter feed that Baylor has gotten the number one football recruit, the, the best football recruit that's come along for the last hundred years, like in the whole country. This is the kid that everybody wants, and whoever gets this kid, it is going to put your program on top. It's a, it's a no-doubter, right? Um... Yeah. You're going to go, whether you're on the bottom, you're going to go from the bottom to the top. He's going to make everything about your program different. You're going to be national champs. Uh, Or or maybe it would be like um, getting LeBron James on your basketball team. The guy that shows up and it doesn't matter how bad things are, they're all of a sudden great. you 're all of a sudden a winner look you you know how excited you would be about that, right and that 's Baylor football Th- that 's just this little hint of what of what these guys are experiencing because this is obviously so much bigger than than a football program right this is this is their, their heritage. This is their, this is their life. Uh, your, their daily life, everything about their daily life is going to be radically affected because they were under the oppression of, of the Roman Empire. And now the Messiah has showed up. And that's going to be all different. It's all going to change. And that's a reality because of Jesus. All right, so what does that mean for us? Um, really it means the same thing. I want you to, I want you to take a minute right now and I want you to think, what do you, what do you want out of life? I want you to stop and actually think about it. Think about what do you really want for your life? I want you to dream for just, you know, the next minute or two and think about what it is, um. What do you want more than anything else? Is it to, is it to, have, to make a lot of money? Is it to have a, a beautiful husband or wife? Um, is it to, to get the, the job that you want or to have kids? Right? And as you formulate that, and, and I'm guessing if you're like me, those things start coming to mind, right? That's what I want. And I want to push you to even dream bigger or maybe deeper than that. What is it that you want even more than those things? What's behind those things? Because I would bet that it's something like, I would bet that you want more than anything to matter in life. I'm willing to bet that what you want and what I want, like if if my wildest dreams could come true, I would want to know that I matter, that I'm significant in some way. That, it, that at least to somebody or some people, I am invaluable. I bet you would want something like to have all of the wrong and the evil in the world disappear. I bet you would like to have all the injustice uh, righted, injustice brought. I bet you would like to feel no more pain I bet you would like, if, if you're just, let, let's dream really big, right? That no more bad things are going to happen. If we're honest, if, if we're really going to dream, that's what we want. And, and what I want to pitch to you, what I want you to see, is that that's actually a reality in Jesus. That, that because Jesus has shown up, that those things those things those things can be, are in a sense now, and absolutely will be a reality. Your wildest dreams coming true. And it's all found in, in Jesus. One commentator that I read, he put it this way that Jesus is the the answer, capital A. And the answer to what? And he said, everything. And certainly that's true in Sunday school, but in all of life, right? That Jesus is what I'm looking for. Jesus is what's behind every need and every desire in my life that ultimately what I'm looking for is him. And he's actually, he's actually showed up to deliver it. That's, that's the good news. That's what Peter was beginning to feel and it's what, what I hope you're beginning to feel. But it's not going to look like what we expect. And so we're going to sort of look into that a little further. Second point. I want you to see that Jesus is the suffering Christ. Verses 31 to 33. This is where, as we talked about, things take a pretty hard right turn. Um, so Jesus here begins to tell Peter and the other disciples about what the Messiah or the Christ is. Uh, is going to look like and it's category-blowing for them. Jesus tells them that He's going to suffer a lot. That He's going to be rejected by all the people that they looked up to. The scribes, the Pharisees, religious leaders. That He's going to be killed. And now He also says that He's going to rise from the dead, but that seems to to not make the radar. Um, but But Peter's not having any of that. <laughs> Right? Peter's not having any of it. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him for, for, what he's, for what he's just said. And I want you to think about that for just a minute. Right? You've just confessed. You've just said, I believe that you are, you are God. You are the, the promised one that can fix everything that's wrong with the world. And then, he, then that guy teaches them something. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. no, <laughs> Come here. Let me, let me tell you something. Right? Let me tell you how it's going to be. Right? Bad idea. And so Jesus fires back and he says, get behind me. He calls Peter Satan. All right, so what's going on with that? How do we understand this? Well, look, like we said earlier, the, uh, the, the Israelites, the Jews, are waiting for, their, they're waiting for their hero, their salvation. But they're probably, they're almost certainly thinking of this maybe even almost exclusively in physical terms. They're looking for somebody that's going to show up and defeat the Roman Empire. Because they're in their promised land that God gave them, but Rome's in charge. And they're looking for the Messiah, the one that's going to come in the line of King David, right? And what what was going on uh, when David was king? When David was king, it was the high point, the high watermark of, of um, Israelite life, right? The, the enemies were basically all defeated. Um, the economy was really good. Israel was banging on all cylinders. Life was great. They were on top of the world, and, and that's what they're waiting for. They're looking for, they're looking for somebody that's going to show up and, and kick butt and take names on Rome. A real winner, a hero. And so this talk of suffering and rejection and death, that, like that's not going to work. It just doesn't fit. But they were wrong. And so what Jesus is showing them, He's showing them that He is the Christ, but the Christ just doesn't look like what you think it does. He's showing them that the Christ is going to bring salvation, but He's going to do it in a way in which you would never expect he's going to do it not by winning, but in a sense by losing. He's going to do it by not showing up and killing folks and kicking people out, but by dying and suffering. He's, he's the suffering servant from Isaiah 52 and 53. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 53 uh, 3, uh, talks about this suffering servant. It says he will be despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. It says, all all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is teaching them, I am the Christ, I'm just not what you expected. I've actually come to save you in, in a far different way, but make no mistake, I'm going to save you. So, why didn't Peter get it? And why do we tend not to get it? Peter didn't understand that Jesus, uh, the, the, the suffering Christ, is the solution because he didn't understand his problem. Right? Peter thought his number one problem is what? Rome. My number one problem is my circumstances. It's this thing, and Jesus is Jesus is in some sense showing him and us that's actually not your biggest problem. I've come to save you, but but your biggest problem is your is you. Your biggest problem is your your heart, your sin. I had a friend of mine, a doctor friend of mine. This was. Uh, years ago, well before we, we moved here. And he, uh, he had a patient that he had been seeing for a long time, an older lady, and she, was, um, she had a chronic sore throat. And so she would come and she would want him to write uh, a prescription for antibiotics again because it, it helped a little bit. And so after you know, a few rounds of this, he, he said, no, I'm not going to write your prescription for antibiotics. Uh, you need to, we need to do some further testing. And she was furious Just write the prescription, I know the problem, i got a sore throat, I need antibiotics. And he said, no, I can't do that. Uh, And so they did some testing, and so she was convinced she knew the problem, and therefore knew the solution. But what the testing turns out is that he had to tell her, you don't know your problem, your problem is that you have throat cancer. And the solution is chemo, radiation, something like that. So you see, she she was convinced. Like I, I know my problem, right? Just so I know the solution, but she was she she didn't understand the problem, right? The problem's way bigger than she thought, and that's the way you and I tend to be. My problem is my circumstances: that I don't have enough money, that I'm not skinny enough, that I'm not uh, I'm not my grades are not good enough, my, whatever, right? That's my problem. That's what I need Jesus to fix. I need Jesus to fix my. Um, my self-control, my um, Bible reading, whatever it is. But we're, we're missing the problem, right? We need, we need a solution that's radically different. And that's why Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer and die, because it's the only way to bring salvation. Because He comes to die in our place. He comes to take our place and take the wrath of God on our behalf. And you can actually, all right, this might sound strange, but you can actually hear the passion that Jesus has for his people when he speaks to Peter. When he calls Peter uh, Satan, because why does he call Peter Satan? Because Peter is doing exactly the same thing that Satan did earlier in, in uh, Jesus' ministry. You remember that when, when Jesus goes out into the desert and he's tempted by Satan? Well, basically, how does uh, at least one of the ways, main ways that Satan tempts him is by doing what? By trying to get him to not suffer. He's out there fasting. He's hungry. He says, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. Just worship me and I'll give you what you want. You don't have to suffer. But Jesus did have to suffer if he's going to save us. And so Peter is doing the exact same thing. He's saying... Jesus, no, 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 you don't don't get it, Jesus. You're not going to suffer. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 you're missing it. You're you're acting like the evil one. Because in a sense, you are the evil one. He says, I've come to bring salvation, but I've I've come to do it not by winning like you think about, but actually by losing. It's so backwards. Uh, It made me think of... uh, again sports illustration sorry um, the philadelphia 76ers any you know 76ers fans here um, so from 2013 to 2017 right what's the what's the goal of a basketball team win basketball games right win a championship so they got a new gm uh, a man named sam hinkie he comes in uh, to be their general manager and what he does is he systematically begins losing basketball games and making them the worst team in the NBA for at least three straight years. And keeps telling everybody, trust the process. Trust the process. Now, why was he doing that? Well, if you're the worst team in the NBA, at least the percentages and the ping pong balls or whatever, don't worry about it, uh, you will get the number one pick in the draft. And he says, what we need is star talent and the way we're gonna get that is by losing the way we're going to win is by losing. It's so backwards. But it, it, it's starting to turn around. It's starting to work. It doesn't look like what you would expect. Jesus says, look, I'm going to bring your greatest hopes and dreams to fruition, but it's not going to look like, like what you think it is. But, but can you begin to see, even from this passage, that Jesus does that he does begin to bring as the hero what we really want, right? That if what you want is a love, is to be loved more than anything else, right? He shows up with this deep and passionate love that says, I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. Uh, if you If you want to matter more than anything else, right? Jesus shows up and he, He accomplishes salvation and he says, I'm going to take your your terrible resume and I'm going to give you mine. So that when God looks at you, the way that he thinks about you, the way that he views you, is, is the same as me. So you want to matter? How about having the reputation of the sinless Son of God? That's how much you matter. That's what our souls are really longing for, to be loved unconditionally and un- unendingly. All right, so how do, how do you get that? We've got to wind up. We've got to move quick. So third and finally, how, how, how to follow Jesus. Verses 34 to 38. He actually tells us very clearly how to follow Him. And again, it's, it's probably not what you would expect. Jesus says if you want to follow Him, then it's going to involve your death too. Verse 34 If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look, following Jesus means that it means that we're gonna have to die. And I want you to just let that wash over you for a minute because that's that's really stark language. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And I want you to think about this that the people in this day, you know, they didn't have the New Testament. They don't know how it's gonna end. When they think cross, they don't think like, oh, you know, like, that'd make a great necklace. They hear cross, and that's, like, that makes no sense. Cross is awful. People die in horrific ways on the cross. So what Jesus is saying is incredibly radical. He says, you're going to have to die. And that might sound scary, but I want you to stick with me. I think there are two senses and we're going to wind it up really fast with these two ways. I think there's two ways in which Jesus, Jesus is, uh, means this, that we're called to die, um, to take up our cross and die. And it's, I'm going to explain this. It's a justification sense and a sanctification sense. And by that, what I mean is that there's a sense in which um, that we die to ourselves, we die to begin the Christian life, and then the living out the Christian life is this continual dying to our sin. So first, um, becoming a Christian means that we deny ourselves and take up the cross. What does it mean to deny yourself? The only other time it's used uh, in the New Testament is, it, is when Peter denies Jesus. It's pretty interesting if you think about it. Uh, he denies Jesus three times. And what did that look like? It looked like Peter saying, no, I'm not connected to that man in any way. I don't have anything to do with him. We're not together, don't associate me with him. You know, I'm not throwing my lot in with that guy. Got nothing to do with him. The opposite right would be to say, you know, I'm tied to him. If he goes down, I go down. Right? So what would it mean to deny yourself? It would mean basically to sell yourself out. To say, I don't want to be connected with I don't want to be connected with the things I've done. I don't want to be identified with with who I am. I I want to be rid of that person. Don't count me as him. You know, honestly, that sounds a lot like, like what? Confession, right? In a sense, repentance. To say, I'm not with that guy or that girl. Um, It's to recognize fundamentally that at my core... I am no good, and, and I don't want any part of that guy anymore. Yeah, that we're so bad we cut ties with ourselves. Jesus describes it as losing our life, which means that we've got to see the ways that we try to gain our life in this world by our, you know, going to our good grades or our athletics or our boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and, and to turn from those things and turn to Jesus. Because what you'll find when you, turn to, when you deny yourself, when you turn to Jesus, what you'll find, you'll find a hero that will never deny you. You'll find a savior. You'll find a savior that will never turn his back on you. Because God already turned his back on him. He already took it for you. And that leads to the second sense. In which we follow Jesus by dying, by, by losing our lives. Look, if you hear the gospel, if you hear that good news, and you turn it, you say, I'm gonna cut ties with my old self, and, and I'm gonna take Jesus' resume, and, and, and I, want him, I wanna be with him, then what that means is that Jesus calls us to live this life of constantly putting our sin to death. And, and look, that's gonna feel like dying it's going to feel like dying. To work against our sinful tendencies, it's not going to feel good. Right? If you know Jesus' love for you and you say, I'm going to put my greed to death and I'm going to, I'm going to actually try to give some money away, that's going to feel like dying. If you say, Jesus really loves me and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to pursue sexual purity in whatever realm you need to, that's going to feel like dying. To say no to things that feel good, it's going to feel like death. Uh, To say, if we're going to actually move towards people in love, that means that we're going to be inconvenienced, and that's going to feel like dying. Forgiving people, it feels a whole lot better just to make them pay for it again. When you forgive people, there's a sense in which it feels like death. But what I want you to see is that even then, it's actually bringing us life. It's bringing us real life. Because Jesus died that ultimate death in our place. As the suffering Christ. Let me end with Romans 6, 5. It says this, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That our our little mini-deaths in this life, they're not Ultimate. They're actually life-giving because we're united with Christ. And what we're really getting is his resurrection, his life. And one day, someday, we'll get it to the fullest. And that's the good news that's offered to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for that amazing truth. We pray that we would understand it, that that we would embrace it. And we ask this in your name. Amen.